Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about the fact that it is Indigenous Peoples Day for the first time officially recognized by the President of the United States as a way to acknowledge Christopher Columbus's effect on the people who were here on this continent before he arrived. We'll discuss what this new recognition means. Then we'll talk with UD Mercy President Antoine Garibaldi, who's announced his retirement. What has defined his tenure at the university and what's its future? That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. So today, the second Monday in October, marks Indigenous Peoples Day, a holiday that celebrates the culture and history of more than 700 federally recognized and unrecognized Native tribes here in the United States. Before we go any further, we probably should acknowledge that those of us who grew up learning that today is Columbus Day may still be a bit confused about what's going on. Yes, today is what many of us have known forever as Columbus Day, and there are all kinds of Columbus Day uh, memorable events and sales and things that still take place under the banner of Columbus Day. But as We get further into this time of reckoning and thinking about things. We are seeing more and more places across the city and across the country distancing themselves from this narrative and this holiday of Columbus Day. We're no longer glorifying a historical figure who was famous for centuries-long multi-continental pain and oppression. Today, for the first time ever, in fact, President Joe Biden declared today Indigenous Peoples Day all across the country, shared with Columbus Day. And here in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer also made a similar declaration. Also in 2019, the Detroit City Council passed a resolution recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day as an official holiday and acknowledging the city as the traditional territory of the Three Fires Confederacy of First Nations. More and more... We are looking at the history of the way this country has mistreated the people who were here before Europeans founded America and thinking of ways to unearth that history, to lift it up, examine it, and help ourselves move in a different direction, I think, with the way that this country relates to its native population. So... Today, here on Detroit Today, we are celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day, recognizing Michigan's Native communities and helping to recenter the narrative of this holiday. To help do that, we are joined by two pretty good friends of our show. Sierra Clark is Indigenous Affairs reporter for the Traverse City Record Eagle. She is also co-founder of the Michigaming Journalism Project and co-editor for Indigenizing the news. Sierra, welcome back to Detroit. Good morning, Detroit. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's always great to have you here. Also with us is Megan Ladagupta. She is the founder of Indigenizing the News and another co-founder of the Michigaming Journalism Project. Megan Lada, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start with President Joe Biden's declaration that this is nationally going to be known as Indigenous Peoples Day alongside Columbus Day. He didn't erase that. But I'm, I would love to get both of your reactions to the nation's chief executive acknowledging this idea of Indigenous Peoples Day and whether that has great significance uh, for you as members of uh, native uh, tribes here in uh, in in our country. Sierra, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a good start. Um, I do see it as a performative action when we are also celebrating um, Columbus Day nationwide or in cities. Um, but I do have to say it is a great start to have that recognition and to start the conversations um, revolving uh, Indigenous peoples' histories, uh, because it is important to remember that Indigenous peoples' histories started well before uh, the concept or the idea of uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. We were here since time immortal, and we have always and continue to be uh, defenders for the land and the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megan Lott, I wonder what your reaction is to what the president is doing. Yeah, I definitely would uh, agree with what Sierra is talking about. Um, I think it's a great start. I think it's important to have this acknowledgement and this recognition um, in all levels of our government. Um, It is a really big deal that the president of the United States is, you know, writing a declaration, recognizing the day, talking about treaties, acknowledging our contributions. Um, But acknowledgement, again, is just the first step. And so... I agree that, you know, it it's complicated and it's difficult when there's also a declaration about Columbus Day on the same day. Um, and I think with that, too, we are really looking forward to seeing action as well with that acknowledgement. Mm. Um, yes, acknowledging our contributions, but also, you know, we are still, you know, working and advocating for our treaties, for our lands, for our waters, for our land back. Um, you know, to be included in conversations about uh, land management um, and, you know, issues such as hunting, fishing, whaling. So that is also a really important part of this conversation as well as the action that follows and is in should be in an alignment with the acknowledgement. Mm. So I'm curious about how each of you or your communities mark Indigenous Peoples Day. Columbus Day is a a holiday that I always, at least historically, associated with some parades and things like that. Um, I I wonder what Indigenous Peoples Day is kind of taking shape around in, in Native communities. What are the things that mark the day for you guys? Megan Lada? Yeah, so a lot of different things are happening. Um, I would say, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing kind of educational efforts, which is really exciting. I know some of my friends um, back at Yale, they're doing a rally, uh, they're hosting events, they're having speeches, there's going to be singing and drumming and dancing. And that's true within my own tribal community too. really coming together and celebrating our achievements, our persistence as Indigenous peoples, the beauty of our cultures, making art, um, you know, dancing, singing, having food together, just being together, whether that's in person or virtually, um, kind of just having that space uh, for something really positive and uplifting, something that feels like a true celebration. Mm. Uh, Sierra, what does the day look like for you? Yeah, just going off of what Megan said, um, you know, Indigenous Peoples Day is about celebrating who we are as diverse and unique uh, Indigenous peoples. You had mentioned earlier that there are over 700 tribes. So there are over 700 tribes in what is now the United States with very diverse cultures and stories and languages. And today is really about celebrating the survival of the 500-year-plus genocide that Columbus set forth through the Doctrine of Discovery and celebrating that we have survived that. Um, But not only that, that we are a really strong, resilient, um, beautiful, and culturally diverse people. So here in Traverse City, Michigan, um, we adopted Indigenous Peoples Day last year, uh, so now um, the, the city celebrates Indigenous Peoples Day, and today I, I take the time to uh, educate those, and I dance for my people. Today I will be dancing uh, for my people and, and for non-Indigenous people to, to celebrate, but to also carry forth what was once denied uh, to my ancestors. Mm. I know in Wayawatiang in Detroit today, there is a prayer water walk on Belle Isle from 10 to 2. Um, 
And then there's going to be Indigenous Peoples Day kickback, uh, an open mic um, held to, by uh, Vibe with Tribes. Um, you know, anyone in Detroit, I would suggest going and seeing if uh, you can go and celebrate with the local Indigenous community down there and, and, and learn something about the Indigenous histories of Waiawatiyang. Hmm. I'm talking with uh, Megan Lada Gupta and Sierra Clark. Uh, they are both uh, reporters, journalists, uh, but they're also members of Indigenous uh, tribes here in the state of uh, Michigan. We're talking about Indigenous Peoples Day, the growing way that we acknowledge the second Monday in October, which forever has been uh, Columbus Day. Uh, in recent years, there has been a push to move the focus from Christopher Columbus to the people who were really affected by his arrival here uh, on this continent and the many, many years since of oppression and pain that have visited upon indigenous peoples because of his arrival. We'd love to hear from you during this conversation as well. What do you personally make of Columbus Day being replaced in many places across the U.S. by Indigenous Peoples Day? Is that something that you welcome? Is it at all difficult for you as someone who grew up celebrating Columbus Day to think of this day in uh, different terms. Also, what do you make of the period of reckoning that I think that we're in that invites this kind of reexamination, the reconsideration of figures like Christopher Columbus and the way we talk about and celebrate them in this country, uh, the other narratives that need to be respected and lifted up uh, either alongside uh, those other figures, or in some cases in replacement. Also, give me a call and let me know if you think we ought to do away with Columbus Day altogether. Should we not acknowledge uh, him because of the terrible things that uh, he did and, of course, the terrible things that he kind of set forth uh, by his presence and his uh, arrival here? Uh, should we be calling this Indigenous Peoples Day exclusively uh, and not Columbus Day. Uh, and if you believe that, uh, let me know what you think we ought to do with Christopher Columbus. Should we just erase him from our history altogether? Or is there another way to tell the story of what actually happened uh, when he arrived on this continent? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation uh, that way. Megan Lotta and Sierra, before we get to listeners, I want to ask you the question that I just asked them. <laughs> Would you prefer that this not be Columbus Day in any way, and that it be Indigenous Peoples Day. And then if you if you do think that, uh, tell me how we ought to be thinking of Christopher Columbus. What do we do with him uh, if we take this day away from uh, the, the idea of celebrating him? Should we just kind of erase him from our history, or is there a better way to think of him than we do right now? Sierra, I'll start with you. Absolutely not. We should not do away with him in our history. And that's something that I really want listeners to understand is by replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day, we are not erasing Columbus from history, but we are focusing the shift on celebrating uh, Indigenous peoples rather than celebrating someone who set forth 500 years of genocide and who wrote in his journals about bragging of the mistreatment and abuse, and I won't go into it for, you know, trigger warning what he did to the Teanos peoples, um, but not celebrating him as a person, keeping that history alive and well, but reforming it into education. Because right now there there is not a lot of ed education about Columbus State of what really happened. He did not discover America. Um, he, he set forth... Um, slave trade routes and genocide and an impression 500 years we're talking about. So, um, no, I don't want to do a, a way with, you know, erasing him from history. I want there to be the actual factual history of Columbus. Hmm. Uh, Megan Lana, what do we do with uh, Christopher Columbus? 
Yeah, I definitely second everything Sierra said. Um, you know, we're not we're not asking to erase Christopher Columbus from history. This is not um, a movement to erase, but rather a movement of truth telling. Um, the truth is that uh, you know Columbus is you know, has come to be a representation of the violence that indigenous peoples have faced and the stereotypes and assumptions that are made about us every single day um, in schools, in museums, in, um, you know, media, all of those things. Um, and so rather, you know, this is not something where we're saying, you know, we don't want to, you know, talk about him ever again, but rather it's a truth telling effort to to say the truth of what happened and it brings to mind you know our conversation that we've had about the statues and when we take down the statues and it's not you know something that's meant to completely erase that but rather not uplift that and not celebrate that as you know not celebrate that violence um in our in our country and really understand um, the impact that it has had upon indigenous peoples and our communities and our histories. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with Vasilis in Gross Point Park. Vasilis, welcome to uh, Detroit Today. Yeah, hi, Stephen. Thank hi. you for having me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just want to say Columbus Day, no love lost to see it go. Um, and it's always great to recognize the indigenous tribes that were, you know, decimated and severely impacted by us, us coming, the Europeans, I should say, coming to to this land. But, you know, however, I do think we we need to have shared history and we need to have shared cultural traditions, whether they be holidays or, or historical uh, acknowledgments, whether they be statues. And I feel as if having opposing holidays or having always a counterpoint or always finding, you know, the historical negativity in a holiday now hopefully it'll be a small historical negativity that you can accept um just puts us at odds with each other so i'd like to see more cultural uh togetherness so having said that yeah columbus day not really important to me as a child Columbus hmm. always looked a little strange a little funny and uh, <laughs> different but yeah that's but, my perspective facilities uh, i really appreciate the call and the really thoughtful uh, comments about the, the way we think about these and these things and and maybe rethink these things over time. Uh, again, thanks for being part of the program here. Let's go to Harry in Sterry, Sterling Heights. Harry. Yeah, it's a great subject. Uh, I'm a gung-ho flag wave American, but in our history, what we, how we treated the Indians, and they, they put uh, Andrew Jackson on a $20 bill, and what was he known for massacring Indians, slavery, in Vietnam War, I mean, those are three black marks on our on our history in the United States. And who knows if Afghanistan and Iraq are going to be viewed the same way. But as far as Columbus, how can you discover something that's already been here? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry, again, appreciate the, the call and, and the comments. And uh, I just want to note that, uh, you know, Harry is referring to indigenous peoples as Indians, which they are not. Uh, Columbus was lost and thought he was in India, which is why uh, he called uh, the people that he found here uh, Indians. But but I, I think it's really important to note that even though Harry is still using that language, uh, he's somebody who is recognizing that uh, Columbus uh, was not a hero uh, in that in that way and not somebody we ought to be celebrating. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that uh, there's a spectrum of reckoning, I guess, and and recognition of the things that in the past made sense, I suppose, uh, but but today are are not the way we want to the way we want to think about them. Uh, Harry, again, thanks for listening and thanks for your call and your comments. Let's go to Brian in Ann Arbor. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. I read an article in a paper in Ann Arbor called Ground Cover this weekend. Uh, titled America's Longest War, and it very clearly laid out how the American Indian War is still going on with things like Standing Rock, and that Afghanistan is a very short war by comparison. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Brian, really, really great data point to add to our conversation. Uh, Appreciate your call and your comments. Uh, Megan Lada and Sierra, I want to give you a chance to react to what we're hearing from, uh, from callers here. Megan Lada, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, I think um, the point Brian brought up is definitely important in terms of the length of time that our people have been fighting and resisting and persisting. Um, you know, it's been it's been centuries. And today I would encourage people, you know, on Indigenous Peoples Day uh, who maybe who aren't Indigenous to do your research, educate yourself, um, look into some of our contemporary struggles, our contemporary experiences, um, because those are happening right now. Um, we are fighting for our land back. We are fighting against pipelines. Um, and it's really important to to understand that, yeah, that that conflict is still going on. Um, and, you know, we are still fighting uh, you know, to exercise our treaty rights, uh, to practice our cultures, and to protect our people in our lands. Mm. Yeah, uh, Sierra, what's your uh, reaction to our callers here? Everything that Megan said, um, I, I do want to say Chima Gwach, although some of the opinions I necessarily don't agree upon, I do want to say that, you know, we are in the United States of America where um, diversity is a beautiful thing. So, um, Miigwech to the callers for their input and, and miigwech to everyone. Um, I am a proud Kitiwikwidong Odawa Anishinaabe. I, I reside here on my ancestral homelands of the Grand Traverse Bay on ceded 1836 Treaty of Washington Territory. And I want to say that because of my ancestors fighting tooth and nail with everything that they had, I am here today. Mm. I am hope made of flesh, their wildest dream. So I want to say miigwech to all of my ancestors and to every Indigenous person out there today. Miigwech for your strength, your resilience, and your place in the world. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about Indigenous Peoples Day, and we will continue to hear from you, the listeners, Fran in Redford, Katie in Royal Oak, Melissa in Metro Detroit. You're up next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the program. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Megan Lada-Gupta, who's founder of Indigenizing the News, a digital news source dedicated to educating non-Native allies about Native nations, cultures, issues, and knowledge systems. Also with us is Sierra Clark. She's an Indigenous Affairs reporter for the Traverse City Record Eagle. Uh, she is also a founder of Indigenizing the News. We are talking about Indigenous Peoples Day, now officially uh, a national holiday here in the United States alongside Columbus Day. Uh, Indigenous Peoples Day is an effort to lift up a different narrative about what Christopher Columbus did, who he was, what his effect has been on the people who were on this continent long, long, long before he arrived. We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. What do you think of the idea of calling today, the second Monday in October, Indigenous Peoples Day. Is that uh, a step forward? Is that a way to reckon more fully with the mistreatment of the people who were here on the continent before Europeans arrived? Uh, or are you somebody who's a little concerned about the idea of wiping away uh, the idea of Columbus Day? And if you believe that we ought to replace in uh, Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, call and let me know what you think we ought to do with Columbus. How ought we be talking about uh, someone who is without question a prominent figure in our history, but perhaps not a heroic one? How should we be dealing with figures like 
Columbus. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Katie in Royal Oak. Katie, what's on your mind? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to just ask, what's the value of a national holiday without a corporate commemoration? That is to say that Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Dr. Martin Luther King Day, which is a national day of service, are days that we all come together for the same purpose and commemorate the occasion. On the other hand, the second-tier holidays like Columbus Day, President's Day, seem to me to be just another bank holiday or a day for kids (laughs) to be off of school, when in fact, wouldn't it be better if they were in school today learning about indigenous people, Mm. learning about the real history of this country? Mm. Katie, it's a great question, and I'm going to put it to both our our guests, but but I I, want to say that I I think— you're absolutely right that that giving it as a day off doesn't really acknowledge the things that we're trying to draw attention to and and again just opens the door for a, a commercialization of it that I think uh, is is a little demeaning as well but I'm I'm wondering what our guests think Sierra uh, what do you think of the idea that maybe people kids in particular ought to be working today <laughs> and working on knowing a little more about indigenous people. Um, you know, with that being said, I, I don't fully leave it up to teachers to um, give the education uh, regarding indigenous people's day. Um, I myself, I have my child in for half of the school day, so he has the opportunity to, um, you know, educate other students or bring it up in class. But then we, we spend the, the other half of the day celebrating our indigenous um, identity. So we'll be at powwow later today, and then we'll, we'll be in ceremony. So it's, it's a hard question for me. Um, I'm not sure I can answer that one. Hmm. Uh, Megan Lana, I wonder what you make of it. Yeah, I think I, I agree with Sierra, <laughs> as always, um, that it is a difficult question. I think it would be really amazing to see uh, companies, organizations, um, schools, even dedicating this day to education, to learning, um, to watching, you know, native made films, for example, or listening to native music um, or reading books by native people. Um, and I would also say, too, it, you know, it has to come, you know, not um, not as kind of all the labor being put on indigenous peoples um, on this day. I think there's many ways to educate ourselves uh, without, you know, asking indigenous peoples to do all that labor for us. And I think there's a lot of amazing opportunities to work with native peoples and to listen and hear from us. Um, And on IPD, that could totally be a possibility as well, but maybe not to assume that native people, you know, can spend today doing that labor you know many of us like you know like Sierra said are with our communities dancing singing wanting that day uh, to celebrate us which you know ultimately is educational too mm-hmm. um, but I think that's a little difficult in trying to think about you know what kinds of engagement um, could happen today um, that celebrate native people and maybe not necessarily um, you know put all the labor on indigenous peoples hmm. again Katie, uh, really appreciate the call and the provocative question. Carl on Twitter says, as with critical race theory, the recognition of indigenous people is part of the movement to tell a more complete historical record, which focuses on truth telling instead of political propaganda. We see the tension that results from dispossessing people everywhere from Palestine to America. Um, let's go to Fran in Redford. Fran, what's on your Hi. mind? Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Great, great. It's been a long time. It has. Uh, I've been listening, and yes, um, Indigenous People's Day is a long time coming. Uh, We owe it to the Indigenous peoples of this country. It it was their country first, and we owe it to them to recognize what they have gone through. And with that, we need to keep Christopher Columbus's memory alive as well. But we need to 
tell the truth about Christopher Columbus's accomplishments and really who he really was. Hmm. Let's stop feeding, you know, our young people and, and our country lies. Let's start telling the truth. Hmm. Tell Americans, tell the young people, teach children who he really was and what he really was all about. Because, hmm. you know, we've been living a lie for too long. That's why it's so easy for people to dismiss the contributions of people of color because they've been they've been taught a bunch of lies about the greatness of white men. Not that white men aren't great, many of them are, but many of them aren't and many of them weren't. Mm. And we need to start telling the truth, living the truth. We'll be a stronger country for it. Yeah. Mm. Fran, I really appreciate the call and the really passionate and uh, thoughtful comments uh, there. You know, I, I wonder, Megan Lana, if you think today most people have a real misconception about Christopher Columbus, or have we gotten to the point where maybe most Americans understand uh, that that he was not the hero that we have made him out to be, but but are not as clear about the importance of indigenous people's history. I mean, I think there, there are two different sort of issues there. One is being able to know and tell the truth about Columbus. The other is being able to understand and celebrate the history of the people who were here before him. Yeah, I would say that that's a tough question to answer. I mean, I would say I'm not sure in the sense of, you know, general, you know, understandings of Columbus right now. I mean, I think we're getting better and, you know, proclamations, declarations like the one President Biden made definitely, you know, do help with that understanding. But I can say that stereotypes and misconceptions about indigenous peoples really are continuing in the United States today in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, like I was saying, in schools and in media and um, museums, and in many ways, like that does connect back to Christopher Columbus, um, you know, just like we were talking about the term Indian in and of itself is, mm-hmm. you know, was, is the term now because Christopher Columbus thought he landed in India. And so when you interrogate that term, you're kind of tying it back to, okay, why do we even have that term? So I think that things are definitely improving. I see like definitely more engagement, more, you know, just people asking me more questions. Um, But I still think it's something where maybe, you know, people just need to know and learn more about that history. And today can provide a good day for that. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Let's go quickly to Melissa in Metro Detroit. Um, But I still think it's something where maybe... Melissa, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, uh, Stephen, is this you? It is. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I missed okay. it. Um, okay. oh, hello to you and um, to your guests. Um, I'm so glad you're here. I'm just thrilled um, to be uh, have a day is called Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, there's just so much wisdom that um, you can uh, you can teach uh, me as someone who came from European descent. Um, people who lived in nature and listened to nature and honored nature have so much to teach us. And I just wanted to share the title of one of my most treasured books. Um, it's a book about um, its excerpts of um, speeches and writings of great Native American chiefs and leaders hmm. um, throughout history uh, in our in our land. And, and it only costs about $10, uh, but it's really worth like $10 million. Um, it's called The Wisdom of the Native Americans. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and it's compiled and edited by Kent Nurburn, and it's spectacular. Huh. Uh, Melissa, I, I really love that uh, that you called and and suggested that. I, I, I'm not familiar uh, with that text, but uh, I think the idea of seeking out literature and and other uh, data points for learning on a day like this makes uh, an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of sense. Uh, I, I want to go to Eric in Detroit quickly before we have to break. Eric, what's on your mind? Uh, I just wanted to say I don't really care what we do with Columbus Day, but I think we need to be honest. When we start looking at historical figures, Columbus was a man of its times, which by our standards today are vile. But Native Americans weren't any better, really. You know, they, oh almost all God. of the tribes 
exterminated the people who were there before them mm. or drove them away. They aren't the first people on those lands. Mm. So, Eric, again, uh, we try to appreciate and include everybody's views here on the program. So I, I, I'd certainly appreciate your calling and sharing your point of view. I think, uh, though, that that we have to point out that that uh, factually, I think you're you're wrong about uh, the, the native peoples uh, and and I don't think so. And their history. It. Where did where where are you getting that information? From studies in college. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, Research let me papers. let me give our guests a chance to to, to answer you. Uh, I, I would say that I think there's a lot more that maybe you could read about the history of indigenous peoples here. Uh, but but I also, in in a bigger sense, just want to point out that this exercise is not about creating different heroes from Christopher Columbus or whitewashing a different uh, side of history. It is about telling the truth. And uh, I think sometimes this pushback that says, well, indigenous peoples did this or that, and that makes them no different from Columbus, misunderstands the point of what we're trying to do. All we're trying to make sure is that uh, the, the lies, the spectacular lies that get told about Columbus uh, are are corrected. No one is saying that Native peoples are heroes. We're saying they were people who were here before he was, and mm-hmm. what he did uh, with his arrival was uh, was not just wrong and vile, uh, but but has persisted for centuries. Um, but but I want to give our guests a, a chance to to answer that as well. Uh, Sierra, I'll I'll start with you. Yes, I want to say to Miigwech, Eric, uh, for, for calling in today. And I really do hope that you are able to contact your college university and ask for a full refund because you are absolutely wrong in that history. Um, and I will not do the emotional labor um, to give you resources. There, um, there is Google. Um, but with that being said, um, and with what you were saying, Steve, um, uh, Native communities, we were not perfect and we were not this utopia um, that, that some people do want to believe. Yes, we did have wars and, and yes, we did have conflicts, but we did not place genocide that erased over 90% of the indigenous population, uh, nor did we um, trigger warning, will not say it, to young uh, children and, and, and set forth slave uh, routes. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, I do have to agree with you, Steve, that this is more about um, for Indigenous people, it's about celebrating our, our resilience and our, our diversity. And for non-Indigenous people, it's about understanding the true factual history of Columbus. And what I do want to um, point out and ask listeners today is to the first step is to um, understand whose ancestral homelands are you on. And you can do that with a quick Google search. Just Google whose uh, ancestral homelands am I on? And a great website will pop up. And that's the first step is understanding the history of the land and understand the peoples and the languages. And then you can go from there and support Indigenous uh, authors, not books written about Indigenous people by non-Indigenous, but look for Indigenous authors and Indigenous artists and really, really uh, take that next step in supporting that. Mm. Because we are contemporary people. We are people in the 21st century. Yeah. And again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think the idea that Native peoples, Indigenous peoples, did not establish a nation that was founded on the idea of certain people's inequality, I think, is, mm-hmm. is the thing that, that I think is the, the strongest pushback against the kind of narrative that Eric is, is propagating here. Um, there, there is no comparison uh, between what Europeans did on this continent and other people uh, have done. Uh, Megan Lada, I want to make sure I get your voice in here before we have to break as well. Yeah, I would just echo everything Sierra said. And what you said as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sierra Clark and Megan Lada Gupta, it's always great to have you here and uh, wonderful, of course, to have you here to help celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Thanks so much for joining us. Miigwech. Chi Thank you. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk with University of Detroit Mercy President Antoine Garibaldi 
who plans to retire from the president's office after this academic year. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. After more than a decade of being president at the University of Detroit Mercy, Dr. Antoine Garibaldi has decided to retire from his post at the end of this academic year. After taking a sabbatical, he's going to return to the university as a tenured professor in educational psychology. The first black president of the university, Garibaldi, has seen many changes come both to the university, its campus, and the surrounding neighborhood and northwest Detroit. And he's had his fair share of really great successes. He has more than tripled the school's endowment since he took the helm in 2011 and has increased student enrollment numbers, particularly for first-generation college students during his tenure. There have also been a lot of other changes that happened, not just at the university, but also in that surrounding area of northwest Detroit. As such, we wanted to talk with him about some of the success that he has attained and some of the challenges that he sees persisting at the university once he retires from the president's office. Antoine Garibaldi, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's always great to have you here. So uh, tell us, why now? Why step down from the president's office after 10 years? Well, um, this is my uh, my 11th year here at the university. I was president for 10 years at Gannon University. And I believe that many of the things that I said we wanted to do have been accomplished. And it's a great time for my successor to take and build upon some of those items. And when I came back in 2011, uh, I guess I would uh, summarize it in, uh, in in these items. I said we needed to strengthen our mission, our enrollment, our finances, our fundraising, our endowment, and also uh, our partnerships with the, with the local community. And we've done all of those uh, very well. It's not been easy, uh, but through the collaboration of so many individuals here on this campus and our other three campuses it's uh, you know it's it's really been very very successful from fundraising our enrollment you mentioned this is our largest freshman class in more than 12 years we have 570 students and uh, at the undergraduate level and we've done very well in all of our other um, colleges uh, throughout the university we have seven schools and colleges so everything from you know, law and dentists, uh, dental, uh, as well as uh, business and uh, liberal arts and education and nursing and health professions. Um, you know, they've all been in architecture. You know, we've all done very, very well in that. So uh, so it's a good time. And, uh, you know, though we don't like to talk about age so much, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good time for me to try <laughs> to spend some time. And one of the things I really want to do is I want to write a book on both my experiences here at Detroit Mercy as well as at Gannon because I think there are some leadership lessons that uh, some others coming behind me would like to hear about and how we really tackled a lot of those challenges. Sure. So I want to flash back to 10 years ago when you got here. The university was in a really different place, and you've done a lot of work to try to move it to a better place. Let's start with money. Um, You've helped raise more than... $100 $100 million for the university tripled the endowment. Talk about why that was important uh, and what that sets the university up to be able to do now. Well, we had never had a campaign of that large. I think the closest um, uh, person who did that was Sister Maureen Fay, who was the first non-Jesuit of the university. And I know you mentioned I was the first black president. I'm also the first lay president mm-hmm. out of 25 presidents. But uh, getting support from alumni is extremely important, and because we are a private institution, we do not get any major funds from the state or the federal government. And so the best way for us to be able to support so many of our first-generation college students, one-third of our student body are first-generation college students at the undergraduate level, we really needed to get the financial support of uh, our alumni. And so 
we raised 115 million dollars over uh, uh, over a period of seven years. Our goal was 100 million dollars. The majority of that money is going to go to support student scholarships for those students. And I'm pleased that more than 75% of that money came from our alumni. We have 100,000 alumni, and we have 32 individuals who gave $1 million or more uh, to that campaign. So obviously the next campaign is going to be a lot larger than $100 million, but that is the way that we have to secure our future, by providing those scholarships and other forms of support not just from our alumni, but also through foundations and other government grants that we uh, uh, we compete for, along with many of the other 5,000 college, uh, colleges, universities around the country. So all of those things factor into what our national rankings are. And so we're now in a category of national universities, and we're the only one in the state, uh, the private university, among four uh, institutions, both uh, public and private, that are in that category. So those kinds of things help to attract students, but it also helps to energize our alumni who want to support the institution and give back in the same way that when they were in school, many of those individuals were first-generation college students too. So fundraising is extremely important for a private university as well as public institution these days. Right. You've also increased student population overall. Uh, Talk about why that was possible. And again, uh, expand on this idea of the importance of including first generation students in those in those classes as they come in. Yeah, well, you know, since our founding in 1877 uh, by the Jesuits and then the Sisters of Mercy um, in Mercy College of Detroit, uh, when they um, uh, you know consolidated with the university, and Sister Maureen Fay was the president uh, at that time, and uh, just passed away this past summer. Uh, that was really the dream of both she and Father Mitchell, who were the presidents at that time. And they recognized that they were competing against one another. And they said, well, if we want to have the strongest Catholic university in the state of Michigan, uh, let's come together. And both of them, both of those institutions, really worked hard to recruit students from uh, working-class families who had never, ever had a uh, college. Their parents had never had a college uh, 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 education experience, and that was really one of the goals. So from from the first day that I was here, I began to make contacts with principals of local high schools, visited those high schools, and then over time we established a Catholic education grant that attracted more of our Catholic school students to us. And then also in 2017, we uh, established a tuition reset. We did a little research, and we reset our tuition from $41,000 to $28,000. That made us more competitive and more affordable with students who may have never, ever considered a private college education. And so we recognize that there are lots of students out here um, in this community and throughout the state as well as nearby states who want to get a college education, but their parents can't afford it, and they don't think that they can afford it. So we want to make that possibility um, you know, uh, possible for them, and that's why we called our our uh, tuition reset "Assure Your Boundless Future." It really was about making sure that any student who was planning on getting a post-secondary education could look at the University of Detroit Mercy as well as any other institution that they were considering. So, mm. uh, we we said we'd make a way for them, so they did not have to work uh, worry about the money, and so we took money off the table and said. You're academically talented. Uh, we want you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, w- I want to give you a chance to talk before we have to end about going back to teaching, which I know is a great passion of yours. You have to be excited about uh, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, even during my last 20 years as a president and even about another 20 years before that, I was an administrator as well as a professor during all of that time at uh, Xavier and Howard University as well as Gannon. Um, I have kept up my scholarship and tried to write a scholarly article about every couple of years. The mm-hmm. topics range from topics on higher education, African-American males, as you know, is one of the things that uh, I started doing about 30 years ago. Uh, certainly, teacher education is is important for me, and I'm still called on quite a bit to talk about urban education. So. Mm-hmm. 
I want to do some research uh, on those topics, and I know that there are lots of foundations that are very interested in that, and it's hard to do it when you're full-time running the university. And so that plus, like I said, uh, try to highlight some of the leadership lessons which I've learned through the whole process of being an administrator. Uh, it's going to be something I'm looking forward to, just sitting down writing and identifying all the similarities and the commonalities among what it takes to uh, run a university in uh, these challenging times. And I'm not even talking about a pandemic. I mean, that was one that uh, really came along. So, uh, you know, I like to tell people that 70, 72 days in my first presidency, 9-11 hit. Yeah. And um, when I came here, a uh, year and a half into it, it was the uh, uh, municipal bankruptcy right. of the city. Right. And many people were very, very helpful. And I definitely want to, you know, acknowledge uh, Mayor Bing, who mm. I met on the first day that I arrived here <laughs> on that weekend of uh, Memorial Day mm-hmm. in 2011. And his first words to me is, let me know how I can help you. And uh, he certainly did provide that assistance that I needed in those first uh, first two years. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Antoine Garibaldi, uh, I'm sad that you're retiring from the presidency, but glad that we're keeping you here in the Metro Detroit community and at U of D Mercy. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Stephen. That's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we're going to talk with Detroit City Clerk candidate Denzel McCampbell and the Atlantic staff writer Hannah Georges is going to talk about her piece in the magazine's Inheritance Project about the unwritten rules of black television. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.